Three days and 259 picks. Uh, we're done with the NFL draft as it concluded on uh, Saturday. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined this morning by Brent Sobleski of Bleacher Report. And always good to have you on the show, Brent. We appreciate it. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Three quarterbacks in the top four picks and many, many quarterbacks over the three-day period. What stood out uh, during this quarterback-heavy draft to you? Well, I think with those top three, uh, when you see the way that they set up in this year's uh, order, I think they all landed in perfect situations. And maybe that be cliche, but what was fascinating, at least to me, with this year's class was the fact of the matter that there was no clear-cut number one guy. I know ultimately Bryce Young emerged as Carolina's choice, and that's perfectly fine. They traded up. They went and got their guy who happens to be Bryce Young. But you can make strong arguments for C.J. Stroud, in fact, Bleach Report scouting department had C.J. Stroud as our QB1. Furthermore, with Anthony Richardson and the Indianapolis Colts, his natural upside, his potential is as big or greater than anyone else in this year's class to, to where you could potentially see him as a top three to five quarterback in the NFL if he's developed properly in the right situation. So I look at this and I think these guys landed perfectly. They slotted how they should have. Carolina will will fit very well with Bryce Young, with the surrounding cast they have, Frank Reich, Josh McCown on staff, C.J. Stroud. They'll expand what he was doing in college and, and really take advantage of the things we didn't see, which was his athleticism and his creativity, which didn't really appear until that until that playoff game against Georgia. And then finally with the Colts, with Richardson, you, you now have him with Shane Steichen, whose last two quarterbacks that he helped develop were Jalen Hurts and, oh, yeah, Justin Herbert when he broke the rookie record with touchdowns. So I think these are just ideal fits for all three, and I, I would argue easily that all three actually landed their QB1. Okay, so let, let's go to Col- the Colts and Richardson. You know, Ursay had some interesting things to say over the weekend, which he probably does every weekend, but this was draft weekend, uh, and he <laughs> talked about Richardson. So how soon do you think he might play? Week one. Some people might be aghast by me saying so uh, so definitively. But in reality, when you look at Anthony Richardson, you really break him down. I know a lot of people like 53.9% completion percentage and might drop. Well, that gives you no context whatsoever or really an understanding of what his skill set is or the situation he was placed. So when you think about it, what you saw with him was outstanding pocket movement and just feel for – playing from the pocket, which a lot of people probably don't think because he's so athletic overall. But he was easily that as good as anyone in this class just playing within the pocket and really having a feel for pressure. Now, obviously, Bryce Young was better with the creativity, but Richardson really fills that, uh, fills that nicely and is further along than people give him credit. Even with his accuracy, there are so many instances where you can point to where there were drops or there is a system uh, failure overall. Now, Yes, he has to improve his mechanics, and yes, he's got to get experience, and that's the key. That's why I say he should be starting from week one. His default setting isn't that he needs further development by sitting on the bench. The default setting should be put him in the lineup and let him learn, take your lumps early, and watch how he improves, and he still gives you so much as a playmaker because of that athleticism, what he can add to the run game. Two running backs over the top 12 picks. Uh, you know, Tucson product, Bijan Robinson, and also Jameer Gibbs. So Atlanta and Detroit, did they do the right thing? Well, Atlanta's fascinating, right? Because we've now gone three, three, not one, not two, three 
draft classes where they bypassed on uh, a top available quarterback to select at another offensive skill position. You had Kyle Pitts instead of Justin Fields. You had Drake London instead of Kenny Pickett, albeit they probably would have had to trade down in that instance. Now you have B. John Robinson, and while Will Levis slid into the end of the uh, or beginning of the second round, very well could have been a first round selection along the way. So it really comes down to this selection. How good is Desmond Ritter? Are you putting enough talent around him for him to be successful? I think Bijan's phenomenal. I think he's the best running back prospect we've seen since Saquon Barkley. But at the same time, is he going to be enough when you already had the number one rushing attack in uh, in the NFL, at least from an efficiency perspective? So I don't know if he changes your dynamic and your approach as much as he might have with another team. Brent Sobliski, your Bleacher Report, currently in the sports zone. Okay, we had a run of four consecutive wide receivers start at number 20. Which wide receiver do you think of that group will have the biggest impact in 2023? Well, my favorite fits Dave Flowers with the Baltimore Ravens. He might not put as big in numbers because obviously that's you're going to have a run-based portion that's built around Lamar Jackson and what they do in that regard. But the juice that he brings, the explosivity, just to improve the Ravens' uh, passing game in general with alongside the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. and a healthy Rashad Bateman makes them far more dynamic. And I think that's important for what they really lacked the last few years with Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator, who's now stepped away and Todd Munkin's taken in. So I absolutely love that selection. I mean, we can go the easy route and discuss Jackson Smith and Jigma with Seattle. I mean, first wide receiver to come off the board, and he's going to a situation where he has to play alongside Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, so you should expect big things there. But I really feel that Zay Flowers could be the biggest difference maker among those four based on situation and what he brings to that his specific team. The NFC West, let's go start with the Cardinals. They added Paris Johnson in the first round. They now have 11 picks in the 2024 draft, including six over the first three rounds. So, uh, would you think of Monty Austin Fort? Uh, did he have the right plan last week in his first uh, draft mm-hmm. as a GM? Absolutely. I thought he definitely uh, really manipulated the board to his advantage. That's something that Ozzie Newsom used to talk about all the time. Really moving up and down and back and forth. That way you can find and target the guys you like, but also gaining assets along the way or utilizing ones into your favor. So, we all knew going into this draft class that number three overall wasn't just for sale. It was a fire sale that there was no way <laughs> the Arizona Cardinals wanted to stay with a third overall pick. So you move down and you, you gain those uh, those special assets, as we stated, and then utilize it by moving back, some of them, but not all of them, by moving back up and getting the guy that you had targeted all along, which is Paris Johnson Jr., which I think is important because, one, He's the top-rated offensive tackle in the class. And two, you're making Kyler Murray happy. (laughs) And as we well know, in the NFL, you need to keep your quarterback happy at all times. But that draft class was beyond that initial manipulation that Austin Ford did so well. I think they got great values. If you're looking at B.J. Ojolari at 41, we had him as a top 25 pick. You get him in the second round. Garrett Williams probably would have been much higher in this conversation if he didn't have a knee injury during his final year on campus. Michael Wilson's a guy that a lot of people overlook to a degree because he had an injury history, and plus Stanford's been so Jekyll and Hyde the last few years, but I knew within league circles he was very well-liked because of his route running his and uh, his composure and his build. John Gaines, highly athletic guard in the fourth round, playing multiple positions. And the other guy I'll bring up just from a straight value perspective 
was Owen Papo uh, in the fifth round. When you look at where, what type of linebacker he is, I think we had him in the third round, or excuse me, 78th overall. So yes, in the third round, but you're you're getting him in the fifth, and and I think that's fantastic because of how athletic he is, and he, he's a natural linebacker, which isn't has always been the case with some of the guys the Cardinals have selected in recent years. All right, staying in the division, uh, the Seahawks seem to take advantage. They had uh, a lot of early round, uh, early round selections here. So, what do you think? Uh, you know, John Schneider slash Pete Carroll, uh, their approach and their picks. Well, I mean, if they can get anything close to what they got a year ago, it's going to be another home run. It was, last year was one of the best classes we've seen in the last decade. It was unbelievable, not just with both the starting tackles, but Tyreek Woolen and Kobe Bryant and Kenneth Walker. Just unbelievable effort drafting-wise. And I think this year's class can be similar. Maybe not as good because that was almost historically good. But at the same time, Devin Witherspoon, uh, who you benefit from the Russell Wilson trade, he was cornerback number one in this year's class. So he steps in. Now you have bookends with Tyreek and Witherspoon and Kobe Bryant playing over the slot. I think that's just phenomenal and gives you, not exactly, but a, uh, you know, a lighthearted Legion of Boom vibes overall. Smith and Jigma, as I stated earlier, wide receiver one, so you can't necessarily go wrong there. It's a good value, and a guy that probably would have went higher if he didn't deal with the hamstring all last year. Zach Charbonnet is really the interesting one. I know I skipped Derek Hall, but that's just more pass rush. Charbonnet, I think, is fascinating because you have Walker as a rookie, right, and 1,000 yards, and Charbonnet is one of the most physical runners in this year's class. So what are, what are the Seahawks doing? And to me, they're going back to basics, right? I mentioned Legion of Boom Light. Now you have Walker and Charbonnet in the backfield. Now, granted, they're not Marshawn Lynch from a singular perspective, but you can get that type of production from the duo themselves. So it shows me the Seahawks looked at it and said, you know, we tried to let Russ cook. It didn't work. We moved on. Let's get back to what made us successful in the first place. And I think they're really building it in a manner where they can be not maybe a Super Bowl contender, but still a very good team. Talking NFL and NFL draft with Brent Sobleski. All right, the Eagles last season, I actually thought they had the most good players of any team. Uh, they added more studs, <laughs> it seems like, in the draft and, and tra- via trade. Uh, so were the Eagles the, the biggest draft week winner here? If you were in the state of Pennsylvania, you were a draft winner. That's, just, <laughs> that's the way I'm looking at it because I think Philadelphia and Pittsburgh just absolutely crushed it in almost pretty much every single selection they had with Philadelphia, obviously. You start by getting Jalen Carter at number nine, okay? Yes, you traded up one pick, but at the same time, this is someone who a few months ago we're discussing as the potential number one overall pick based purely on talent. So if he can step in, you place him next to Jordan Davis. We know how dynamic that duo can be because we saw him together with the Georgia Bulldogs. And then you continue that Bulldog pipeline. And you know what? I think it's a pretty smart approach to continually select players from back-to-back national champions because they're that good. And so when you get a Nolan Smith at 30, you just shake your head for anyone else following other teams around the league because Smith is so explosive. 4-3-9, 40-yard dash off the edge, a relentless motor, great leader, a little undersized, but utilize him like Hassan Reddick. You just get these guys round after round. You go to Tyler Steen, Sidney Brown, Keely Ringo. Those three I can all see – contributing as rookies or at least very early in their career. So I look at them and think, man, they just absolutely crush it. But I also want to give some love to the Steelers, as I stated. I mean, you, you go and get and not only get your left tackle of the future, because Dan Moore Jr. has kind of been a replacement-level player the last two years, 
that you jump ahead of the Jets so you get Broderick Jones so he can insert immediately on Kenny Pickett's blind side. Who would have believed Joey Porter Jr., of all people, would have been there for, for them at number 32? Not only is he a legacy, but he's a tarantula on the outside with 34-inch arms with the stickiness to cover top wide receivers. So you've got him learning from Patrick Peterson. Canu Benton, in the later in the second round, I think could be a day-one starter at nose tackle. And then furthermore, the icing on the cake, uh, at least from a day one per day two perspective, was Darnell Washington, six foot, almost six foot seven, 263, 64 pounds, just unbelievable size and athleticism that you now pair with Pat Fryermuth. Just talk about the 12 personnel packages you can utilize and really make life easy on Kenny Pickett. I think Pittsburgh just crushed it. Okay, so you know we've I brought up a few teams. You brought up or added Pittsburgh. So is there a team here that we haven't discussed that you think uh, had a good week as far as the draft goes? I think one of the fun ones were the Indianapolis Colts, and because of their approach, for anyone that watches or kind of pays attention uh, to some of the advanced metrics when it comes to the NFL draft. There's a thing out there, and I'll give total credit to Pro Football Network's Kentley Platt and anyone who follows Math Bomb on Twitter. If you don't, please do. He's very good at what he does. But he has this formula called RAS. It's Relative Athletic Score, right? And it goes back. It's a database he has that's been built over 35 years to compare and contrast athletes coming into the NFL based on position and body types. So it tells you and relative how they are athletically to every guy that's ever played the position that's come in over the last 36 years. So Anthony Richardson, the most athletic quarterback we've ever seen in 36 years. That's not even being hyperbolic. That's actually on the scale <laughs> that he put together. Julius Brents was – now this scale goes to 10. Julius Brents was just under a 10 with a six, you know, six foot three, another tarantula at cornerback. Josh Downs over a 9. Blake Freeland was almost a 10. Uh, Adetomuia Adebowale was a 9.8. You know, Darius Rush was like a 9.6, 9.7. So just the raw athleticism and potential the Colts put together was absolutely staggering. Okay, so the opposite of what we've been talking about basically would be some teams that maybe left you scratching your head like, what are they doing here? <laughs> I don't want to tear them down because I know a lot of people were upset. I, I, for those who know, I, each year for Bleacher Report, I serve as the person grading every single pick in real time, okay? Now, keep that in mind. I'm literally doing it as the picks are coming through. So I'm, it's my re- automatic gut reaction and, and explaining myself. And the first one, the team that – the only team that re- received an F the entire week. I, I feel like we don't have enough chutzpah to – really use the entire grading scale. Everyone always wants to put A's and B's and maybe C's. Now, I try to use the entire grading scale. And the only F I gave out this year was Washington in the first round with Emmanuel Forbes. And I'm not trying to downplay the player that Emmanuel Forbes is. Uh, he, you know, uh, I think he was first in college football last year in interceptions with six, or at least tied for it, uh, top four or five in uh, passes defended. Obviously great ball skills. And they needed cornerback help. They were top five in pass defense, but they actually, from a talent perspective, they needed an upgrade. With that said, when you look at Forbes, he's a 166 to 170 pound cornerback on a six foot one frame. He's very skinny, and he plays a physical brand of football. So how is he going to hold up at the next level, right? And then, furthermore, you you pass on a quarterback again. We, whatever you want to say about Will Levis, I don't think people denied his actual potential and just raw throwing ability. 
But you are, as an organization, made the decision. We're going to make Sam Howell our QB1. He's played one game in the NFL. That's it. One game. And he was a fifth-round pick. Why are you guaranteeing him anything? If anything, you should be looking at this as an opportunity that if their guy fell in your lap, that you would you would take take the chance on him and really try to upgrade the game's most important position. But they didn't. And so I think when you take those factors under consideration, even though they did a solid uh, day two, day three uh, draft overall, to me that top of Washington's draft really kind of spo- spoiled it for me. Okay, last up. Uh, last week, uh, Aaron Rodgers finally traded. Lamar Jackson finally signed. So what are some of the remaining off-season storylines we should be following in the next few weeks here? <laughs> Bob, I've already turned the page. I've already done a 2024 mock draft. <laughs> so I'm, I'm way ahead of you, my friend. But looking at it, you know, you, you want to see how some of these – uh, some of the franchise tags settle out over the next few weeks, specifically something like Saquon Barkley um, because of the Giants getting Daniel Jones done. Is he going to sign long-term, or is it going to be a situation where uh, where that it's a one-and-done and he's gone? And, you know, I look at certain quarterback situations. I want to see ultimately what happens in Minnesota. And Kirk Cousins, you have one year left, right? I want to see how things develop for Kyler Murray and how he deals with a brand-new general manager and coaching staff. And if you're not good next year, are you considering the likes of Caleb Williams or Drake May? So there's a lot to play out over the next few months going into the season. I think will be fascinating, specifically at quarterback. But I, 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 with those you mentioned, I, it's essentially what we all expected. We expected Rodgers to end up with the Jets. We expected Lamar Jackson back in Baltimore. So those weren't huge differentiators. They were just confirmations. And now it's time to figure out just a few of those the straggling ends as, as the off season continues, and we start getting into OTAs and camp, early camp, rookie camps, and so on and so forth. All right, Brent, appreciate the time. We uh, thanks much, and uh, we'll be checking back. I'm sure uh, before we uh, get to like training camp and things and things like that. So thanks a lot. Gotcha. Next week we're going to do on the 2024 mock draft. I got you. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. <laughs> yeah, okay. Be, be sure to email that to me uh, my way. And uh, okay. I'm, a, I'm, a little, I'm a little burned out. I can't. God bless you. You're you're not. But you're getting paid to, not to be burned out. So good for you. Yeah. All right, Bob. You have a good one. Thank you. Okay, Brent Sobleski of Bleacher Report, and uh, check out that 2024 mock draft. All right.